The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Frank Holland, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show is live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. We begin with taking a turn. Stocks under pressure to end the week as earnings in one key economic report. They take center stage today. Also, taking a bout of Wall Street this morning is a double dose of bad news from two Dow stocks. One of them, Intel, sinking in the pre-market as its full-year outlook. It comes up short of estimates. Also, we are keeping a very close eye on Tesla, running out of road after closing down more than 12% and losing $80 billion in market value. While Jim Cramer says he's kicking the EV maker out of the MAG-7. Plus, the wave of 2024 job cuts continues as Salesforce reportedly gets set to reduce its workforce. And then later, Apple making a historic move, changing how its app store operates overseas. It's Friday, January the 26th, 2024. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Let's get you ready to start your day. As always, we kick off the hour with a check on U.S. stock futures and take a look here. You can see it's in the red across the board. So it looks like the Dow would open up more than 50 points lower at this moment. But the real story this morning is the Nasdaq down more than a half a percent. So we're going to talk much more about those slides, largely due to Intel, just a little bit later in the show. So stocks coming off another record-breaking session. I saw the Dow close at an all-time high, and the S&P, it hit its sixth record close in a row. You can see the S&P this week up over 1%, the Nasdaq up over 1% as well. So a big part of that move, it was Microsoft, closing above the $3 trillion mark for the first time ever. Take a look this morning. You're seeing it's actually down just a bit, down almost a half a percent for the week, though. Microsoft up 1%. Strength outside of tech as well, with the Dow Transports on pace for their best week since mid-December. You're seeing the charts a little bit choppy this week, but this week outperforming some of the other indices up 2.3%. We also want to check the bond market, as we always do this morning. Right now, we're seeing the 20-year hitting its highest level since early December. Also, the benchmark right now at 4.1%, a couple of basis points lower than we saw yesterday. We're also taking a look at the energy market this morning, oil in particular, moving slightly lower after its best day in three weeks and its highest close since November. Right now, the oil market under a bit of pressure. WTI, the U.S. benchmark, down 1%. Brent crude, the international benchmark, down almost three-quarters of 1%. Okay, that is your morning money set up. We want to get back to the markets. Two Dow stocks, they're down big ahead of the open. Post earnings, Intel and Visa putting the brakes on the recent rally. We'll get much more on Visa in just a moment. But first, let's start with chipmaker Intel. Shares under pressure despite posting a top and bottom line beat for the fourth quarter. For investors, it's all about the outlook, which came in much weaker than analysts were expecting. For the first quarter of fiscal 2024, Intel expects EPS of 13 cents and revenue between 12 and $13 billion. That was well short of what the street was expecting. Speaking with our John Fort last night, CEO Pat Gelsinger partly blaming the weak forecast on seasonality. Well, I do think there's a little bit of the market view as we uh, come into the year, which is leading the channels, the OEMs, to be a little bit more conservative in their outlooks. But I'd say that Q4 to Q1 variability is often the case, as I said. That said, 
you know, we look at it, our market share looks healthy. We don't see any unique inventory issues outside of the non-core areas that we've already talked about. So we think the Q1 guide is just where the market is right now in terms of its outlook. And we see our products are well-positioned, our uh, competitiveness is good, our market share is solid, and we believe that we'll be improving in all of those metrics as we go through the year. Outside of earnings, investors preparing to close out a week of continued fresh records with one key economic report. December PCE figures due out before the opening bell. It's the Fed's favorite inflation gauge is expected to show a year gain of 3%, a slight drop from November's reading. For much more, let's bring in Robert Teeter, head of investment policy and strategy at Silvercrest Asset Management. Robert, good morning. It is great to have you here. Good morning. Thanks, Frank. Great to be here. So tell me, how do you see today's PCE report? It's coming five days before the next Fed decision. And the odds of a cut in March, something that the market really seems to be counting on, it's been fluctuating. Last month, it was over 70 percent. Today, it's under 50 percent. How meaningful is PCE? PCE is incredibly important. It is the Fed's preferred metric. Um, I do agree with consensus here that year over year for core will come in around 3 percent. The interesting thing is that the annualized numbers trailing on a six-month basis will now dip below 2 percent. And that's something that in the past the Fed has pointed to as a potential justification for cuts going forward. Now, whether that plays out or not remains to be seen. We've got some more inflation data between now and that meeting in March when all eyes are focused on whether the first cut arrives then or not. This strong GDP report we had yesterday may push that cut out a little bit further into the future as the Fed has the, the ability to go either direction at that next meeting. It truly is a live one. Right. Uh, what camp are you in? Six cuts, three cuts, somewhere in between? I think we will come in around five or six cuts. It depends a bit on whether they start in March or a bit later. Um, I I was thinking March was the start date. I'm pushing that out a little bit now just on the basis of the strong economic numbers that we've seen. Uh, It gives them the ability to hang in there a bit longer before they put in the first cuts. All right. So you're saying strong economic reports can change your opinion. Obviously, we have a big week next week. Again, we have the Fed decision on Wednesday, the jobs report on Friday. You also believe that the markets, they stay kind of choppy in the near term. How are you advising your clients to play the near term? Yeah, so in the near term, we're, we're advising people to be patient. So I do think this year will be a positive year. Um, we have a backdrop of okay economic growth, around 2% in our forecast. Um, our research shows that that leads to about 6% earnings gains. That's reasonably healthy. Um, but to get further fuel for this rally will really require the Fed to execute on that first cut. Uh, so in the near okay. term, between now and then, I think we just have to be a little bit patient, but overall positive on the year. All right. In the near term, you're also bullish on the consumer discretionary sector. It's actually underperforming this year, down about 3% year to date. It's also a really wide ranging group. Uh, Tesla's in there. Obviously, Tesla under quite a bit of pressure. Las Vegas Sands, McDonald's, retailers. Is In your mind, is there a certain area of consumer discretionary that moves the sector higher? It's the things that are most sensitive to consumer spending with that backdrop of 4% wage gains. So the retail space and the leisure space, um, places where consumers are still spending money because they're making more money. Uh, We're putting more people to work. Wages are growing. Um, Those areas are also the ones that have the ability to improve margins a bit through use of technology. They tend to be labor intensive, and you can deploy some technology to, to help margins there as well. All right, we'll have to see how the consumer is doing. Consumer confidence out next week on Tuesday. Robert Teeter, really great to see you. Thank you. Thank you. All right, back to a busy morning for earnings, and we have your big money movers, and it's not just Intel taking a bite out of the Dow this morning. Visa also under pressure on a weather-related slowdown in volume. Revenue growth dipping into single-digit territory for the first time since 2021 and breaking 10 straight quarters of double-digit sales expansion. The payment giant CEO says consumer, consumer spending remained resilient, 
but recent data has shown an increase in overdue credit card payments. T-Mobile also falling after posting a mixed earnings report, the wireless carrier missing EPS expectations, but beating on revenue by about $1 billion. T-Mobile continued to add customers and now expects to gain between five and five and a half million more this year. Western Digital moving lower. The data storage company logging a 2% decline in revenue for the seventh straight quarter. Management says the results demonstrate structural changes put in place over the last few years as it looks to improve profitability and dampen future business cycles. All right, we have a news alert for you now. The Biden administration just announcing a new decision around U.S. energy. Our Pippa Stevens has the details. Pippa. Hey, Frank. Well, the White House says it will pause pending approvals for liquefied natural gas plants while the Department of Energy updates how it evaluates these projects. No timeline was given, but senior administration officials said it will take, quote, some months. There are currently seven LNG export plants in the U.S. and five under construction. Now, the pause does not impact already authorized facilities and only impacts projects currently in front of the DOE, which officials say is four projects. The U.S. became the world's largest LNG exporter in 2023, just seven years after beginning exports. Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm will have more on this coming up on Squawk Box at 7.30 a.m. Eastern. Frank? We're going to continue to keep our eye on the energy market this morning. Natural gas up about 3.5% right now. Pippa, thank you. All right, a lot more to come here on Worldwide Exchange, including the one word that investors have to know today. But first, Salesforce joins the rank of the nearly two dozen companies cutting headcount in 2024, plus a closer look at the backbone of the online sports betting industry and the two big stocks dominating the market, but maybe not part of your portfolio, at least not yet. Our Contessa Brewer is here to shed some light on the sector. And later, much more on Intel and why our next guest says he's trying to look past this report at brighter things to come. We have a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. You haven't heard about the McCrispy yet. Well then, you probably haven't heard the sweet silence after the first crispy bite either. Go try it for yourself to hear the best not sound you've ever heard. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones... Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Let's get a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Our Pippa Stevens is here with those. Pippa? Hey, Frank. Well, J.P. Morgan Chase is reshuffling its management team again as it prepares for a time when CEO Jamie Dimon is no longer in charge. Among the moves, Jennifer Peepzak, current co-head of J.P. Morgan's Consumer Bank, will now become co-head of the firm's commercial and investment bank, along with Troy Rockbach, a veteran leader of the bank's trading operations. Peepzak's former partner, Marianne Lake, will transition from consumer banking co-head to being its sole CEO. The moves reinforce the idea there are now only a handful of executives with a shot at succeeding Diamond as CEO. Salesforce is reportedly set to lay off around 700 employees, 
According to the Wall Street Journal, the cuts will comprise around 1% of its roughly 70,000-person workforce and would be the latest to hit the tech sector. If confirmed, the move would follow the company's cuts from a year ago when it let go around 8,000 employees, or around 10% of its global workforce. And it's not just Salesforce. In its latest earnings report, apparel maker Levi Strauss says it will lay off at least 10% of its global corporate workforce as part of a restructuring. This coming after the company said it expects weaker sales in the year ahead. Levi says the cuts will take place in the first half of the year and could affect up to 15% of corporate employees. Frank? Uh, Pippa, thank you very much. All right, Chiefs against the Ravens. Ravens can't even get it out today. 49ers take on the Lions. Victors head to the Super Bowl. I'm so excited about this Super Bowl. No matter the outcome, the sports books, they're always looking for a big win. Investors may focus on DraftKings, Caesars, MGM. And starting Monday, FanDuel parent Flutter, it lists on the New York Stock Exchange. But our Contessa Brewer joins us now with some of the under-the-radar plays when it comes to online sports betting. Yeah, exactly, because while those guys get all the attention and who's got the market share and all of this about the playoffs and the Super Bowl, really, I think that the investors should also take a look at the tech companies that power these sports books. For instance, Genius Sports is the exclusive NFL data provider. It makes money off licensing fees and revenue sharing with the sports books, and it makes three times more on in-game bets than on pre-game wagers. So what does it do? It packages the football feeds in this unique way. It has augmented reality, which means that the viewers can see the odds of a specific play. I mean, look at this and how much fun that is to watch, especially if you want to put money on the game. They then can sell this to, say, media companies for better audience engagement, and they sell it back to the teams which want more data to improve their own performance. Here's what they told me. Ultimately, we are trying to keep our customers' customers on platform longer. And one of the ways that we're able to do that is by delivering them a product that is completely engaging, that has integration, integrated stats and live odds and all of these different components that fans want to see as part of the experience. And it's really a duopoly because Genius's bigger competitor is Sport Radar, which has deals with nearly all the other major pro sports leagues. And 90% of the sports books, Michael Jordan is a big investor. The stock is down almost 9% this week, though, on news that the CFO and the chief strategy officer are both departing. But this is a company that has an interesting strategy where it's gone around the world and snapped up the content rights for sports in, like, Colombia or the Caribbean. And then what happens is, as international companies want to expand, they need the content to fuel the sports books, so they have to then buy it from Sport Radar. It's a, they're, they're really interesting tech companies okay. powering the sports books. All right, so two tech companies that really power online sports gambling. Uh, again, what are the names of those two companies? Uh, Genius and Sport Radar, and okay. both publicly traded. All right, bringing some new names to our audience. Um, there's another issue in the gaming space that's going on right now. It's, it's labor and gaming, uh, specifically in Las Vegas, ahead of the Super Bowl. Yeah, exactly. So what we've seen is the Culinary Union went and they made deals with MGM, Caesars, and went right before F1, historic new labor agreements that will give bigger pay raises to the Culinary Workers Union there on the Strip. Then there were all these other more than 20 properties that still had outstanding or lapsed contracts. They have been able to incrementally go through property by property to get some of those deals done, but still more than 20 remain outstanding. So today they're going to be having an informational picket, not a strike, 
this this time next week, if those deals are not done, workers will walk off the job. There is a strike already authorized and they're right. ready to do it right before the Super Bowl. So they said that they've already taken the steps of alerting certain customers. Your reservations may be disrupted if there's a strike while you're here for Super Bowl. Wow. Super Bowl in Las Vegas and this kind of For the of first time ever. I mean, first like time a ever. Hu- this is a huge transition in gambling and for sports because, you know, of course, Las Vegas and right. sports always were very separated. All right. We'll continue to watch that story. Yeah. Contessa Brewer, great to have you here. Sure. All right. Coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, why our Jim Cramer says he's actually throwing Tesla out of the Magnificent Seven after yesterday's $80 billion stock sell-off. Stay with us. You haven't heard about the McCrispy yet? Well then, you probably haven't heard the sweet silence after the first crispy bite either. Go try it for yourself to hear the best not sound you've ever heard. After today's 25-point drubbing, Tesla is out of the Magnificent Seven. Done. Stick a fork in it. We all know it. People are just afraid to say it. Maybe they worry Elon Musk is something up his sleeve, or maybe they're just scared of the guy, or they just like saying Magnificent Seven all the time, although I bet most of the people have never even seen any of the three cinematic iterations. I do not have such trepidation, people. That's because in one earnings report and conference call, Tesla removed itself from this elite group by itself. I think it's a teachable moment about what qualifies the stock to be a member of the Magnificent Seven, which sadly is no more. All right, that was our Jim Cramer on Mad Money last night. Definitely not Jimmy Chill taking an axe to his outlook for Tesla after what was a very rough day for the stock. It closed down more than 12% and lost $80 billion in market value on the back of that weak volume outlook. Cramer says to be a part of the MAG-7, a company needs a couple rubrics. That's what he called them. Uh, A company needs to have growth, not be subject to economic cycles, have strong leadership at the top, and not be at the mercy of foreign competition. Joining me now with more is Hannah Gooch-Peters, Global Equity Investment Analyst at Sanlam UK. Her team oversees $2.4 billion in assets. Hannah, good morning. Great to have you here. Good morning. It's lovely to be on. Thank you. All right. So Jim Cramer, uh, very vocal about his thoughts on Tesla right there. Do you agree or disagree? Should Tesla, after that report, should it be booted out of the MAG-7? It's really interesting, actually, and I do really agree, because if you think about what it takes to be part of the magnificent seven, the seven biggest companies in the world, I think the most important aspect is the uh, growth and durability of the cash flows of this business. And I'm not sure that Tesla, when compared to the other companies that are dominating the uh, world indices, is able to show that with the same robustness as the likes of uh, uh, Microsoft or an Alphabet, for example. One of his other criteria is that you can't be subject to economic cycles. But in all fairness, aren't all these companies somewhat subject to economic cycles? For example, we saw an ad spending slowdown with Meta. We saw a cloud growth slowdown with some of the other companies. I mean, what company isn't subject to economic cycles? Yeah, no, that's completely true. But I think also what is important is if you've got that element of cyclicality, what valuation you're paying for this business. And um, with Tesla, the reality is out of all of the Magnificent Seven, one could argue that it is perhaps um, one of the more expensive companies um, you're looking at when looking at the sort of future growth prospects and the uh, overall quality of that business. And in particular, the, the competition that that company could well face at the end of the day. Um, they are essentially a car manufacturer. Um, when you're looking at companies like like Microsoft, for example, it really does have 
um, you know, a, a leading position in what it does. And so I just think that element of quality when combined with the sort of growth prospects and the moat of that business just isn't quite as robust. You know, Hannah, it sounds like you're actually adding a new criteria. We might have a fifth one from you that you need to be a leader in your space. So clearly Tesla's not a leader in car manufacturing. Uh, there's so many other automakers, Toyota, Ford, et cetera. They make a lot more cars, but there's a lot of excitement about Tesla's next generation vehicle. We had a guest on yesterday. They, they believe that the next gen vehicle that's supposed to come out sometime in 2025 is going to lead to about 20 million in sales. So maybe it's not as magnificent now, but do you see the potential for Tesla or other companies that see a slowdown but have prospects in the future. Can that keep you in the MAG-7? I think that with Tesla, and you, you know, you, you've actually hit the nail on the head, is you have to look a very, very long way into the future to be able to justify the valuation as you stand today. So you've got, sort of, say, um, 10 to $15 billion of, of free cash flow on a market cap, which is, which is far, far larger. And so the valuation of that company, just for those future growth prospects, as it stands at the minute, is very expensive. And you're having to look way out into the future, and you don't know what the competitive threats to that business um, are going to be over that time. I think um, for us, um, we are quality-based investors, and we have a valuation overlay. And so we're looking for the sort of sustainability and durability of an economic moat of the business, the free cash flow and the way it can grow it, and then the valuation you want to pay for those free cash flows. And I just think given the sort of competitive edge that, that Tesla may or may not have versus those other companies in the business and the valuation of that company as it stands today, um, it just doesn't quite stack up, say, some of the other uh, larger companies in the in the world market. Got it. You know, speaking of valuation, uh, Tesla 56 times forward P.E., Ford under eight forward P.E. Quick question. Does your firm own Tesla? Uh, we actually don't know. We've never we've never owned Tesla. All right. Interesting. Um, Hannah, great to have you on. Thank you for your time and for your insight. But one last thing. Yes, no. Yep. Uh, Tesla in the MAG-7 or out the MAG-7, in your opinion? Out of the MAG-7, in my opinion. There we go. Have a great day. Thank you for being here. Thank All right, you. coming up, a historic about face by Apple and how its app store operates overseas. What industry experts are saying about that move. We'll be right back with the story. Stay with us. It is right around 5.30 a.m. in the New York City area, and there's a lot more ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. Here's what's still on deck. Shares of Intel facing a double-digit drop on the back of quarterly results. Weak guidance raising questions on whether the chip giant is struggling to gain traction. We dig through those results. Intel's drop weighing on the broader markets. Investors gearing up for the Fed's favorite inflation gauge. It's, it will close out what's been a week of continued fresh records. And artificial intelligence facing a major legal challenge from the family of late comedian George Carlin. They're looking to pull the plug on a new stand-up special using the Red Hot Tech. It's Friday, January the 26th, 2024. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Let's get you ready for your day. We're going to pick up the half an hour with the check on U.S. stock futures, as we always do. Take a look in the red across the board. Looks like the Dow would open up almost 55 points lower. The Nasdaq off of its lows of earlier today, but as you can see, falling deeply in the red. Stocks coming off yet another record-breaking session that saw the Dow close at an all-time high, and the S&P hit its sixth record close in a row. We're also checking the bond market this morning with the 20-year hitting its highest level since early December. The benchmark right now, the 10-year at 4.10%. Also looking at energy, oil moving slightly lower after its best day in three weeks and its highest close since November. Taking a look, WTI, the U.S. benchmark down 1%, Brent crude down three quarters of 1%. Okay, that's your morning setup for the U.S. Let's also get a check on the early trade over in Europe. Taking a look, you can see it's actually in the green across the board. The CAC doing the best right now. 
up 2%. Stocks in France getting a big boost from the luxury space on the back of those LVMH results. We talked a lot about them yesterday. That stock jumping after posting higher than expected sales for 2023 and raising its annual dividend. Uh, The company actually said it has to resist the urge to produce more products. Consumer demand is so strong. You see the entire luxury sector moving higher. LVMH up 10%. Richemont, we talked about that stock yesterday, up four to almost four and a half percent. Pernod Ricard, the alcohol maker, up over seven percent. Okay, that's your full morning setup. Time now for one of your big money movers. We're talking Intel. Shares dropping on weak guidance for the current quarter. CEO Pat Gelsinger warning of a slowdown in overall sales due to weakness in its mobile eye and programmable chip unit. Speaking with CNBC yesterday, Gelsinger says he's being conservative with guidance as spending shifts. We had a good year and an uh, important year of transformation for the company. Obviously, we bring that momentum into Q1. It would say on the low end of seasonality, and seasonality Q4 to Q1 has a wide range. But in the core businesses, hey, the products are healthy. The uh, market share we think is strong. So there's not any particular news there. We just see a little bit of, uh, I'll say, uh, more conservatism in the market outlooks as we come into the year. All right, let's talk more about the quarter with Matt Bryce and Wedbush Senior Vice President. Matt, good morning. Great to have you here. Thanks, Frank. All right, so before this report, you had a price target of $45 for Intel. That was actually below the price it was trading at. You bumped that down now to $40. That implies a 9% downside. What do you think, investors? What's the biggest thing you think they should be concerned about? You know, I, I, I don't think the report changed much. I I mean, certainly numbers go down, but when you look at this year in in terms of end demand, I think PCs pick up a little bit. I I, I think servers pick up a little bit. Those are Intel's two largest end markets. Um, I I think the real question is, uh, can their transition in manufacturing, can the progress they're looking for, will that that materialize? Um, and, And I still don't think we have a clear answer there. All right. So it sounds like you're concerned about their core business. It's uh, the segment's called client computing. It's chips for PCs and servers. But when I'm looking, uh, sales have actually reaccelerated there. That air, that segment's up 33 percent year over year. And the company also it introduced an AI focused chip, the Core Ultra. So are you saying that you have doubts about the Core Ultra's adoption? I mean, where are the doubts when we're seeing 33 percent revenue growth year over year? Yeah, no, Frank, it's not so much about kind of what their core business looks like. It's as you move forward, Intel's Intel struggles have been they haven't been able to compete from a manufacturing basis with TSM. In, in turn, uh, that leads to uh, struggles designing new products, uh, getting costs where they want them to be. And, and they've just started to roll out that next generation of manufacturing. So you've got Intel 4 out there now. They're going to be working on Intel 3, eventually Intel 18A. Okay. Um, and, and so it's them continuing with those transitions to hold their market share. Um, that's that's what I want to see. That's, I, I think, what the, what investing in Intel is about. Okay. Um, and we're just at the beginning of that. All right. Uh, again, Intel shares down double digits, down over 11%. You mentioned the foundry business, um, a very small part of Intel's revenues overall. I also want to ask you about that foundry business. So many of their biggest customers, the hyperscalers, Amazon, Alphabet, Microsoft, they're starting to make their own chips. What does that mean for Intel long term? So, again, if they can transition uh, their manufacturing to more advanced processes, they can make those chips for Microsoft. They can make those chips for Amazon. So I I, I think, again, it, it all comes down to Intel historically was the leader in manufacturing and semis. 
if they can get there again, it doesn't matter if Amazon's buying an Intel design chip or an, is buying an Amazon design chip that's being fabbed by Intel. All right. A lot to watch there. Matt Bryson, price target for Intel now $40. It was $45. I have some doubts about the core business and beyond. Great to see you as always. Thank you. Thanks, Frank. All right. Let's get a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Our Pippa Stevens is back with those. Pippa, over to you. Good morning, Frank. Well, Wells Fargo giving its CEO a pay raise for 2023. The bank paying Charles Scharf $29 million, up 18 percent from a year ago. In signing off on Scharf's compensation package, the bank's board praised the company's financial performance and its focus on strengthening risk and control infrastructure. General Motors revealing its cruise unit is being investigated by federal officials. The automaker says the DOJ and SEC are looking at an incident in October in which a pedestrian in San Francisco was critically hurt. Cruise also releasing findings from a review by a law firm that it and GM hired. It says it found a failure of leadership in Cruise's dealings with regulators. And artificial intelligence facing a major legal challenge from the estate of George Carlin, suing the creators of a comedy special released earlier this month on YouTube that used the technology to mimic the late comic legend's voice and style of humor. The lawsuit is seeking a court order for the special to be removed immediately, as well as unspecified damages. Now, Frank, the lawsuit is among the first legal action taken by the estate of a late celebrity over unlicensed use of their work and likeness, and probably not the last. Yeah, I think his family saying the seven dirty words about this effort to recreate him in AI. Pippa, thank you very much. All right, turning back to the markets. Investors are waiting for more clues today on whether the recent set of strong economic data impacts when the Fed may start cutting rates this year. December core PCE is out at 8.30 a.m. Eastern time. It's the last look at inflation before next week's FOMC meeting. It's expected to show that prices rose slightly last month, but over the longer run, inflation is cooling as consumers keep spending and their incomes grow. Let's bring in Stephen Whiting, chief investment strategist and chief economist at City Global Wealth Management. Stephen, good morning. morning. Thank you for being here. So good put, morning. Good morning. Put this all in perspective for us. So PCE coming out just five days before the effects, the next Fed meeting. Does it have a meaningful impact in your mind on the markets? And does it have a meaningful impact on the market's hope of six cuts this year? Well, this one data point was embedded within the quarterly estimates released yesterday in the GDP data. So it's possible, again, that the revisions within the quarter could have changed the outcome from what's expected. But what we know for the full quarter is that at an annualized rate, the core PCE deflator was 2%. And if you take out shelter, it was 1.1% annualized. Now, that's not the year-to-year rate. There was some more inflation uh, earlier in the year. But this picture, again, of stabilizing prices without an economic collapse, without the labor market coming apart, you know, it's really the story that drove markets uh, in the last year. Uh, It tells us that the Federal Reserve at some level can swerve. Uh, They've done this in 10 out of the last 11 easing cycles since 1980, since the Volcker Fed, their willingness to cut interest rates before employment plunges. Now, it didn't stop every recession from happening. Uh, But this time around, I think the market is a a little bit too optimistic, still in pricing a March easing step. They're certainly not pricing one in January, Uh, but uh, we're on our way there. And I think the amount that they're pricing in over the next year is not excessive. 
Okay, we, there certainly is a lot of optimism. So you actually, you actually mentioned something I wanted to talk to you about. Is there one component of PCE that's the most meaningful to the Fed? You hit it, shelter. We often talk about it being the stickiest. Is there one thing that they're looking at, and if that doesn't go down, it can impact them, even if the overall core number or the headline number kind of meets expectations? It services ex-shelter. So it's supposedly the thing that moves up and down with wages, but really they're being jointly determined a lot in the economy. Uh, And, you know, this is the thing where we are managing to get prices down in in a way that we have in the past. We are getting import prices down. We are getting goods prices down. China, in some respects, is exporting deflation. And that's how uh, we had a sub 2% PCE and CPI over most of the decade that followed the global financial crisis. Now, there are certain policymakers that said, well, we've got to get every price down to 2%. We don't run a command economy where every price uh, doesn't matter, and we can just try to make everything controlled at 2%. Okay. So I think that they will cut, and it's not really inflation, but it's the interaction with their high policy rate, 5.5%, with QT and a slowing labor market. All right, so I want to ask you about March. Um, a lot of people are hoping for that cut in March. You mentioned that... GDP, it beat estimates by a pretty wide margin yesterday. Next week, we obviously have the Fed decision. Then after that, jobs. So are we still in the narrative where good news is bad news if you're hoping for the March cut? Are we past that narrative? I'm hoping we are past that. You know, I think that we're going to see, uh, irrespective of today's news on a couple of companies, that even the fourth quarter, which is usually the dumping ground for charges, for bad news, for things that companies want to put past, past them for the new year, that earnings are going to be much stronger than expected overall for companies. That's happening while inflation is subsiding uh, and uh, employment growth is slowing. That's unusual. But it is unusual, as we've seen in the last couple of years, for the labor market to surge while profits were under pressure. All right. So really quick, uh, expectations, March cuts, six cuts, soft landing. Where are you at with all three? Very quickly. So uh, I think we're going to have what you could call a soft landing. There's no collapse in everything all at once. I think March is too soon. It might be statistically what's happened in the past. Uh, But in the end, the market is not pricing in too much uh, easing from the Fed. And they're not going to zero, but they will cut this year. All right, Stephen Whiting, always great to have you and your perspective. Really appreciate it. Have a great day. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, utilities coming off a pretty rough 2023, underperforming the broader markets. We dig into where there may still be some opportunity within that beaten up sector. But first, some more of your big money movers. KLA falling after posting light revenue and earnings guidance for the third quarter. The chipmaker also missing on profit due to weaker demand levels. Those shares down 7.5%. Capital One shares also declining on some mixed earnings. Net income declining by 60%, though total net revenue did rise by 1%. Provisions for credit losses also also increasingly significant, growing to nearly $3 billion. Those shares down almost 1.5%. And L3 Harris under pressure despite reporting a 14% increase in revenue. The aerospace company attributing the decrease in fourth quarter EPS to costs related to a pending business sale. It had recently expanded its portfolio with the acquisition of rocket motor giant Aerojet Rocketdyne. We're back in a moment. Those shares of L3 down almost 3%. Stay with us. All right. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your morning call sheet. We stop start with Oppenheimer raising its rating on Coinbase to outperform. It says Coins fundamentals are in a upward trajectory and it faces multiple near and long term catalysts. Those shares up almost four percent. 
Evercore raising its price target on Pinterest to 50 bucks a share. It says it has increased confidence that Pinterest-Amazon partnership can materially move the needle for the company. Those shares up almost 2%. And Deutsche Bank upgrading its rating on Snap to a buy. It says it sees a clear, strong catalyst path towards upwards revenue for the social platform. Shares of Snap right now up almost 2.5%. All right, turning now to sectornomics. The utility sector has been going through, well, kind of a rough patch. But the question is now... Is there a hope ahead? Our Pippa Stevens joins us now for this month's Sectronomics. Hey, Frank. Well, it's been rough for utilities, which were the worst sector in 2023, posting back-to-back annual losses for the first time in more than two decades as higher rates took their toll. Now, utilities typically have quite a bit of debt, given how capital-intensive the industry is, meaning that when rates go up, their costs rise. The sector is also viewed as a bond proxy or a relatively safe place for income-seeking investors to park their money. But when rates go up, those dividends start to look less attractive relative to treasuries. But with rate cut expectations on the horizon, the group could start getting more attention, with Wolf Research noting that utilities typically outperform before the Fed starts to ease. So with this all in mind, we screen the sector for the largest dividend players, as well as stocks that have outperformed over the last three months. Dominion Energy takes the top spot with a 6.1% yield, although that stock is down nearly 30% in the last year. Evergy and International, Edison International, I should say, round out the top three at 5.2 and 4.8, respectively, Frank. So if you're looking for some yield, maybe check out these three names. Yeah, I mean, dividends are such a big part of the utility store. We actually had the uh, CEO of PSEG on earlier this week. One thing he said, his company is heavily levered to the EV transition. As we've seen, EV uh, adoption slowdown, we'll just say. People aren't as enthusiastic about EVs. How does that impact the utilities? So it's not just EVs. Think about all these new data centers to power AI. That all requires a lot of electricity. And guess who's providing the electricity? It's the utilities. And so for the first time in decades, really, we're seeing annual growth for electricity. And that means that we need to build more power generation assets. All those EVs, yes, we have seen growth slow, but they're still coming online Also, things like heat pumps and just a bigger transition to electricity overall means more spending. And utilities, of course, can earn a rate of return on their capital projects. So something to watch here. All right, Pippa Stevens with this month's Sectronomics. Pippa, thank you very much. All right, time now for your global briefing. We start with Apple overhauling its iPhone app store to competitors in Europe. The move coming in response to the new Digital Markets Act, which forces big tech companies to open up their platforms by this March. This could threaten Apple's App Store fees as it gives developers like a Spotify and a Microsoft the ability to bypass the 30 percent commission fee. China calling 2024 the year of promoting consumption as it looks to revive demand and bring in more investments. The country's commerce ministry defending China's efforts to attract overseas investments, which fell by over one hundred and fifty billion dollars last year. That marks the lowest level since 2020 on fears of a slowing economy and increased security issues. Also in China, officials reportedly asking their Iranian counterparts to help rein in the attacks on ships in the Red Sea. Reuters says China's business with Tehran is at risk if these attacks continue and is now asking the Houthis to, quote unquote, show restraint. The attacks have raised shipping costs in the last month by disrupting a key a key trade route between Asia and Europe. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, we have the one word that every investor needs to know today. Plus, the Magnificent Seven member, our next guest, is calling a top pick ahead of earnings. Stay with us. 
Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your WEX wrap-up. We start with Humana, clawing back from its 12% drop yesterday. The company warning of significant regulatory challenges and an increase in medical cost trends. Other healthcare stocks moving lower in response. Microsoft under pressure after closing above the $3 trillion in market value mark yesterday, making Microsoft and Apple the only two stocks to finish a trading day above that threshold. Shares right now, you can see they're down almost a half a percent. Uh, Visa also lower on a slowdown in volumes during its most recent quarter. This despite an 8% increase in payments and a 9% rise in transactions. Tesla rebounding off of its losses yesterday, where it lost $80 billion in market cap. The EV maker warning of, quote unquote, notably lower production growth this year. Our Kramer saying kick it out of the MAG-7. Uh, J.P. Morgan reshuffling its management team once again as it prepares succession plans for CEO Jamie Dimon. Among the moves, the bank's co-head of consumer operations will now lead the commercial and investment division along with the current head of trading. And Salesforce reportedly set to lay off right around 700 employees, accounting for around 1% of its 70,000-person workforce. Levi Strauss also announcing job cuts of at least 10% of its workforce as part of its restructuring plan. All right, here's what to watch today. December, personal income, consumer spending, and the big one, core PCE. Out at 8.30 a.m. Eastern, we also get December pending home sales. That's at 10 a.m. We also get earnings from American Express and Colgate-Palmolive. And the first batch of Alaska Air 737 MAX 9 planes will resume flying today. More planes will be added to the commercial service schedule every day pending completed inspections. All right, market set to potentially snap six straight days of gains. The S&P and the NASDAQ, they're both coming off a fresh record high yesterday. Take a look at futures right now. You see they are firmly in the red. Looks like the Dow would open up about 50 points lower or so. Joining me now is Carrie Firestone, Arius Asset Management co-founder and executive chairperson. She's also a CNBC contributor. Carrie, good morning. It's great to have you here. Nice to see you, Frank. All right, so we just mentioned it. Uh, a lot going on out there. We have more earnings today, record closes, and of course, PCE. With all this in mind, what's your WEX word of the day? Oh, the word of the day is anticipation. So that's the word that implies that investors have been giving the relatively weak earnings a pass because they are waiting with bated breath for the reports of earnings of Microsoft, Amazon, Meta, Apple, all the big names are coming up in the next week or so. And that's what the market has been focused on, believing that they'll be very good and they are expected to be very good. The fourth quarter earnings for the MAG-7, even including Tesla, which had terrible earnings, was up the average 86% were the estimates, the rest of the S&P about minus seven and a half percent. So these are what people are waiting for. And we right. hope that they can meet expectations. They think that they will, but that's what's been driving the market ahead. Yeah, we saw just a, a, a bit of broadening yesterday with the Dow transports up over 2%, but the Magnus 7 really remains crucial to the markets. Uh, we're going to get to your pick, which is in the Mag 7 in a second, but I want to talk to you about the overall market. So yesterday we saw a much stronger than expected GDP report, and then we saw the S&P hit a new record high. Today we have PCE. Uh, if it comes in in line, what does that mean for the markets in your mind? I think the market expects it to be in line. Uh, the only thing that could derail uh, the market and interest in that would be a fairly high number, something that's 4% or 3.7, 3.8. Uh, we don't think that's going to happen. We still see rents coming down. 
the trends are in place. We know that energy is creeping up right now, but that had not been the case, and that's not going to be reflected in these numbers. So we think it will be relatively benign. And in con conjunction with those GDP numbers, that's an environment that's soft landing or slightly better than soft landing, but no need for the Fed to start thinking that they need to raise rates. All right. So as we mentioned, your picks in the MAG7. Before we get to your pick, I want to ask you, Jim Cramer yesterday saying that Tesla should actually be kicked out of the MAG7. Agree or disagree? Well, I think by default, it's starting to happen. As, as the stock comes down, it's going to be out of the league in terms of, you know, that plus trillion dollar club. And, and if it keeps falling and if sales are weak and they have cost pressures or potentially a strike, that's just going to happen. And maybe someone else will move in into its place or it'll be just be the mag six. <laughs> just the, maybe just the mag six. All right, let's get to your pick in that magnificent seven as it stands now. Amazon. Why are you so bullish on Amazon going forward? And give us a sense. You worried at all about its uh, valuation. No, not really, because valuation for Amazon is at one of the lowest levels it's been on a P.E. basis uh, for, for decades, really, because this is a stock that is always traded on its sales, nothing to do with earnings. The earnings this quarter are going to be up over 2000 percent. Now, that number doesn't really matter, but 79 percent versus pennies last year. And we see that as a result of e-commerce, you know, picking up, they continue to dominate. And that business has been pretty good. If you look at the e-commerce spending over the last several months, the cloud business that was fairly weak last year, considering uh -huh. the, the growth had come down, is picking up and cost. They continue to streamline costs. There we go. So Terry we Firestone, it's, it's your pick is Amazon. Sorry to cut you off, but we got to go. I hope you really enjoy your weekend. Thank you for being here. We got Squawk Box coming up next. Thank you for watching and enjoy your weekend as well. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. You haven't heard about the McCrispy yet. Well, then, you probably haven't heard the sweet silence after the first crispy bite either. Go try it for yourself to hear the best not sound you've ever heard.